for that. And so, Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, this is the reading of God's living and infallible word. The Apostle Paul writes, As to all my fears, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I am sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousins, Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so, also, Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha the, and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which, have, which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write these, this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. What an awesome, awesome book. I hope you've been as, as blessed as I have in the study of the book of Colossians, one of um, truly um, the apostles' um, um, golden pieces um, before the Lord, and uh, it stands above. Um, Paul closes the book of Colossians, and, and here he encloses it with a, a verbal photograph of his closest friends. And he includes in it all those who have faithfully stood with the apostle while he's been imprisoned in Rome. In the past, you might have imagined Paul while he's been locked away as by himself, uh, in this place by himself. Uh, but through a careful reading of the text, it reveals that actually most of the time Paul was surrounded by and in fact encouraged by and strengthened, strengthened by a wide circle of trusted friends. In fact, between his epistles and the book of Acts, Paul mentions nearly a hundred different godly men who had stayed by the apostles' side, faithfully helping him throughout his ministry. And in our text this morning, Paul lists almost 10 of them. Leaders, even like Paul, are made more effective by those who come alongside him and help them. We all need faithful, trusted friends. Proverbs 27, verse 17 is the verse of our 
um, Bible study that we, we wear the shirts that Brother Dale got for us. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And, you know, it's so great to sit around and, in our Bible study and, and all the guys got on their, their shirts. And Dale bought that as, as an encouragement. And the scripture is just so true if you've spent any time with the scriptures open in fellowship with a brother or sister seeking the Lord. I mean, we get so sharpened and strengthened by the word of God. It's just, it's invaluable, so precious to me. In Ecclesiastes um, chapter 4, 9 through 10, it adds, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. So two are better than one. If you fall, you've got a friend who can lift you up. If your friend falls, you're there to lift him up. And that's what good friends do. They lift you up. They encourage you. They pray with you. They speak truth in your life when, when someone else won't. So really, what a blessing it is that God would bring friends into our lives. You know that Jesus had 12 disciples. And you know what he called them? He called them his friends. He said, but I have called you friends. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was also very close with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And um, I believe that those stories that we see in Scripture and that fellowship that they have with one another is so practical and it, it's true in that it reveals and demonstrates the humanity of Jesus Christ and that he indeed appreciated and in fact sought after true fellowship with brothers and sisters. It wasn't long when he made those journeys down from up in Galilee down to Jerusalem. That was, you know, approximately 80 miles every time he came down for one of the, the festivals and feasts. And he wanted a place where he could go and, and relax and be fed and, and have some intimate fellowship with just one-on-one, two-on-one. Jesus was surrounded by the crowds so much that, that he really looked forward to this time in this close-knit personal relationship that he had with Mary Martha. He could just go over to Bethany and go to the home of Mary Martha and Lazarus, and they always had a room set up for him. And I just love the human touch of that that even though he was God in the flesh, he was also fully man, and he too desired a true, authentic, real relationships and friendships with people. And we all need those um, con uh, close connections as well. Um, listen, we weren't designed to live alone. Um, when God looked at Adam in the garden before he created Eve, the Lord God said to him, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. You know, not only has the nuclear family come under attack, um, uh, really, in, in these past few years, but um, real friendships, I believe, has as well. Deep, um, lifetime friendships um, are rare in our um, fast, crazy-paced, postmodern world of, of individualism and isolationism with your phone locked away in a room somewhere, and that is the focus of our, our culture tear you apart, separate you from your friends. And so as we look at verses 7 to 18 together, I want to see if we, we can't draw some lessons from, from the faithful friends of the Apostle Paul. Um, originally, like I said, I planned on 
making this just one sermon, but decided to break into two parts as really there's so much here for us that we could dig into. But you'll notice on the back of your bulletin, I've split the text up into four categories. We'll cover uh, one and a part of one this week, and then we'll finish the other two off next week. So let's get started with number one and the, and the faithful friends that Paul sent. The faithful friends that Paul sent. And in other words, Paul is writing from Rome. Again, he's under house arrest, and he's sending two of his closest friends back to the church in Colossae as they would carry this letter, this epistle, and others back with them as well. And in verses 7 to 8, we're introduced to Paul's first friend, Tychicus. And I want you to notice how Paul describes him to us. He says in verse 7, As to all my fares, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And so before we go digging into the text, I, I just want to begin by telling you a little bit about this man because many of us are not familiar with him as you are, say, a Peter, James, or, or John, one of the, the um, apostles and the disciples. So, so who is Tychicus? And is, is that name related to um, uh, ticks and the disease of ticks? It is not. Tychicus is described as actually a man with a servant's heart. And I'm going to refer to him as a man with a servant's heart. And he's been standing shoulder to shoulder with the Apostle Paul for many years. Actually, we first meet Tychicus in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, on Paul's third missionary journey to Ephesus. And we know that uh, Scripture says he had stayed in Ephesus for three years there as Paul was ministering and establishing the church uh, in Ephesus. Um, in fact, we have every reason really to believe that Tychicus was a very likely converted under Paul's preaching there in Ephesus. And that just kind of binds your heart to someone. It forms a, a real unique relationship um, that God used my preaching um, in some small way to help bring that person to faith in Jesus Christ. And I think there's part of that bond that we see here between Tychicus and the Apostle Paul, such that whenever Paul is in trouble, Tychicus is going to be right there beside him, and whether there was a, a riot that broke out in Ephesus or, or the constant threats from the Judaizers or from Caesar on his life, Tychicus hung in there. He was faithful and has supported the Apostle Paul even here under house arrest. I mean, what a faithful friend, as you would be putting yourself really in the line of fire by associating even anywhere close to the Apostle Paul. And yet Tychicus did that, even if it meant risking his own life. And so we see Tychicus' faithfulness to follow Paul wherever he went. Even uh, he went back to Jerusalem as part of that love gift that that Paul brought back to the Jews in Jerusalem to try to merge together and to bless the, the, the Jewish and Gentile church that was going through those disagreements in Acts chapter 15. Um, and uh, Paul said, you know, I don't know uh, what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit testifies to me that imprisonment and afflictions await for me. That's all I know the Spirit is telling me. When I go, afflictions, 
and imprisonment await me. And as Paul writes this letter to the Colossians, it had been more than two years since Paul had left Jerusalem and since he had survived the plot by the Jewish leaders to murder him. And then, of course, he went through the trials of Felix and Festus and Agrippa and, and the harrowing uh, voyage to Rome and shipwreck. And Antiochus may very well have been with Paul through all of that this entire time. He definitely was with him during his first imprisonment here in Rome. And after Paul's eventual release, Tychicus remained with Paul, as he is mentioned in Titus chapter 3, verse 12, as a temporary replacement for Titus as the pastor of the church in Crete. Tychicus, who begins as a faithful friend, as a trusted messenger, was now a candidate to fill in for one of Paul's most prominent associates, Titus. And then later, at the end of Paul's life, during his second imprisonment in Rome, Tychicus is still with him. And as Paul was facing his imminent execution, Paul desires to see Timothy one last time. And because Timothy could not leave his congregation in Ephesus without a replacement, guess what? Paul sent Tychicus. As, once again, Tychicus' name just keeps popping up as this replacement for Paul's most trusted associates, Titus and Timothy. And all of this speaks highly of the character of Tychicus, who was always willing to serve wherever it was that he was sent. That's why I'm referring to him as the man with a servant's heart. So as we return to our text, this is Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. It's early 60s AD. By this time, four years have passed since um, Tychicus joined Paul in Ephesus. And because he is a man of proven loyalty, Paul has an important task for him. He is to deliver this letter to the church in Colossae. But not only does he deliver Colossians, but probably Ephesians and the letter to Philemon as well. And these are known as the prison epistles, not counting the book of Philippians. And this wasn't going to be an easy trip. It was extremely dangerous as he'd be traveling oh, right around 1,000 to 1,100 miles. See, up there in Rome, in the top left of the map there, all the way to Colossae. I mean, this was by foot and by boat. And what Tychicus had to do was head out east of Rome, and, and he has to cross much of Italy on foot, and, and then he has to uh, sail across um, the sea, he has to uh, go across Greece on foot, then he has to sail across that other section of sea right in there, and then he has to walk nearly another hundred miles to the city of Colossae. I mean, what an enormous sacrifice. But Tychicus is all in. He's all in. He is devoted to Christ. He is devoted to the word of God. He is devoted to the furtherance of the gospel. So therefore, he is devoted to Paul, who brought him the gospel this is a man that you and I need to emulate in our service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. Now, um, please note how uh, Paul describes Tychicus as he lists three credentials he possessed that, that qualified him to act as Paul's personal representative. First, he calls him in, in verse 7, our beloved brother. 
that, that Paul calls him a beloved brother means that he's a true believer in Jesus Christ and that he is in the family of God. He is a brother in the Lord. Do you know that our truest and deepest friendships are in the Lord? Do you know that? Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they are in agreement? This is why texts like 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 warns us, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And don't miss, miss your scripture. This isn't saying that, that we shouldn't be sharing the love of Christ and the gospel message with unbelievers. But this does say, and many other texts support it, that there is a fellowship that we have in the family of God that is unique and is special and is empowered by the Holy Spirit, which is only possessed by true believers. Only those who are in the family of God can experience true um, koinia with one another. That's the Greek word for, for the fellowship. Uh, true believers experience this with one another. It's that, that brotherly, sisterly love you experience when, when someone encourages you and gives you godly counsel, godly wisdom. And hopefully you've all received that and hopefully you're given that to others and, and you know how that warms your heart because that's the truth of God being spoken into your life. And if you have the spirit of God and you can discern truth from, from falsehood, say, thank God, thank you for reminding me of what God said. I want to follow what God says, not what the world has said or what my unbelieving co-workers have told me and giving me counsel at work. Why are you listening to unbelievers? Paul says, why are you, church, why are you taking your disagreements to the world and to Caesar to settle these things? Settle these things in-house. The world should be coming to us and say, wow, you guys have this whole thing figured out. You seem to work things out so well. Will you, will you show us how to do it? The, Caesar should really bow the knee to Christ and say, oh, we, we've gone way off the rails. Will you, will you show us how it's supposed to be done? And so this is what encourages us, uh, godly wisdom, godly men and women who stand with you in, in difficulties and in trials. When someone in the family uh, makes that extra phone call to you or, or stays after service and talks to you or, or, or prays with you in your time of need, it's something that comes upon us that's supernatural because it comes upon us through the power of God. And so Tychicus, who stood shoulder to shoulder with Paul for all these years, doesn't hesitate to call Tychicus our beloved brother. And then secondly, as Paul continues, he describes Tychicus as a faithful servant. And really, nothing greater could be said about someone else than that Tychicus was a faithful servant. We should aspire to have all that over our tombstone, a faithful servant of the Lord. And the word faithful means someone who's trustworthy, who's reliable, who's sure. In other words, Tychicus was so de such a uh, dependable friend. He was a friend that could be relied upon. And so ask yourself, am I a dependable person? Can those around me rely on me and trust me? When I say there, do I, 
when I say I'll be there, do I, do I show up? Proverbs 25, 19 speaks pure truth. And it says, putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. We've all been there before, right? Someone claimed to be reliable. They, they, they said that they were dependable. But, you know, when trouble hits, it's like chewing with a broken tooth, which is no fun. Or walking with your foot out of joint, which you just can't do. It's just too painful. But Tychicus has proven himself again and again to Paul. And so we can say with confidence, he has been a faithful servant to me and to the work of the Lord. Now, I want to talk just for a moment about this word servant here. Now, I'm sure most of you here today have never even paused at this name, Tychicus, until today. You might have seen it and said, tip to what? Who is that? I got no idea. Next word, please. And that is because Tychicus never achieved any kind of prominence within his ministry. He was never recognized with the higher-ups, but he served in important capacity as Paul's liaison to the churches and was a faithful steward of his ministry. And so Paul gives him the highest commendation he could give him here. Paul calls him a faithful servant. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 20, 26, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Which is the upside-down effect of the world, is it not? Greatness in the world is going up the ladder of prominence and, and climbing that ladder in God's kingdom. You go down. You go low. You humble yourself before the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 11 through 12, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And so these statements by Christ really accurately describe Tychicus as he's lived not to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life to the service of others. Tychicus was not a taker, he was a giver. So he stands as an example for each one of us here today, which really begs the question, how sacrificial am I in my service of the Lord? Do I only serve when it's easy for me, when it's, when it's convenient? Or do I serve even when it's inconvenient? And it requires sacrifice on my part. Something to think about. Back to this word faithful just for a moment. When we stand before the Lord on that great day and we have run the race that he has set out before us, will he say to us on that day, depart from me, I never knew you? Or will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And so Tychicus was a beloved brother, a faithful servant. And then lastly, Paul calls him a fellow bondservant in the Lord. Now, Paul uses two different words that translate servant here in verse 7. We have a faithful servant and then a bondservant. See that? So first of all, Tychicus was a, a diakonos. Uh, this is where actually we get our word deacon from. Um, that's a faithful servant, a diakonos. And that was in relationship to Paul. Tychicus was a faithful servant to Paul in the ministry of the Lord. 
Paul's saying, he has been faithful to me. But here he uses the word doulos. Here, Tychicus is a fellow slave with Paul in relationship to the Lord. Meaning, with Paul, he's a slave, look, in the, in the Lord's work. In the Lord's work, in the Lord's kingdom. If you are in Christ, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. God the Father has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We belong to him. Your life is not your own if you are in Christ. Let's read verse 7 all the way through. Paul says, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bond servant in the Lord, will bring you information. And there... Paul's essentially saying, Tychicus will we'll fill you in on, on why I'm in jail, uh, uh, what I've been doing since we've been here, and, and what I hope to return to you. Verse 8, for I've sent him to you for this purpose. For, for what purpose, Paul, that you may know about our circumstances? And this word circumstances here is an interesting word. It means um, what's going on around me. And that could include everything from an update on Paul's health, um, the hopes of Paul, to his future prospects. And then notice how verse 8 closes with that he may encourage your hearts. And that's what this man does. Tychicus is a team player. He's always encouraging Paul, and he's encouraging all those who are in the house with Paul. And when he shows up in Colossae, he's going to encourage them too. That's the kind of guy this is. He brings encouragement. I mean, Tychicus is the kind of guy that he's not a part of the problem. He's part of the solution. And he's always pouring into other people's lives around us. I mean, we are so blessed. We have so many gifted men and women here who are gifted in this way, who are encouragers. Who are encouragers. And I would like to just say that, that thank you. We need encouragement. We all need encouragement. Um, and so I'm so thankful we've got such blessed people who come, come alongside you, who stand with you, and bring encouragement and pray for you. You know, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but people tend to be either the kind of people that drain everything out of you, or they're the kind of people who pour life into you and fill you up. And Tychicus is one of those. He's, he's not sucking the life out of people. He's actually pouring life into them. So that was friend number one, Tychicus, the man with a, a servant's heart. And, and then there's Onesimus. He, he's faithful friend number two, and we'll call him the man with a sinful past. The man with a sinful past. Notice verse 9 as, as Paul continues, and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Now, who is Onesimus, you might ask? Well, Onesimus is the runaway slave, a runaway slave, let me say it that way. Um, and we don't know all that happened, but um, when you read the letter of Philemon, it appears that Onesimus, who is the, the slave of Philemon, probably steals whatever he can get his hands upon, probably packs into a bag, and Onesimus escapes from his master, whose name is Philemon. 
and that's what the letter of Philemon is all about, this situation between Onesimus and uh, Onesimus the slave and Philemon his master. And so Onesimus, who runs away from Philemon, he ends up in Rome. He's hoping to get lost in the big city of nearly two million people. But instead of getting lost in the crowds, Onesimus was found by God. And in the amazing providence of God, somehow, someway, Onesimus ends up at Paul's house in Rome. No doubt, someone, something, took him by the hand and said, you've got to come and see the Apostle Paul. You've got to come see Paul. And when Onesimus shows up, Paul shares with him the gospel. You read the book of Philippians. He says, I keep talking about the gospel. Have I told you about the gospel? Praise God for the gospel. I'm suffering for the sake of the gospel. The gospel, the gospel. Paul can't shut up about the gospel. He's in chains, and he's praising the Lord and preaching the gospel. So Paul shares the gospel with Onesimus, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he leads him to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we know there's no such thing as an accident. This was all a part of God's sovereign plan for Onesimus. He was one of God's elect before the foundation of the world. And God is going to move heaven and earth to set the circumstances to get the gospel to Onesimus at the appointed time, at the appointed place, and God is going to change his heart. And that's what happened. That's what happened to Onesimus. And in an instant, he was dramatically changed. And of course he was. Of course he was. The moment anyone is saved, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. And so Onesimus, who's been under the discipleship of the Apostle Paul in this house, is now wanting to know, Paul, what's next for my life? Uh, what is God's will for my life now. And what Paul says to Onesimus, and I'm making this up because I don't know, but what Paul says to Onesimus is, I'm going to send you back to Colossae, and you're going to have to go and present yourself back to Philemon. And we do know that from the book of Philemon. Um, and you need to go back to him and show him that you have a repentant and you got to read the letter to Philemon. It takes all five minutes if you haven't read it for a while. Essentially, you know, Paul writes this letter to Philemon and says, you know, I really want to keep Onesimus around here at my house. Um, he, he's been actually ministering to me greatly in my imprisonment. That's what he says in Philemon. And what Paul was saying was that Onesimus' transformation through the power of the gospel was so incredible that he was now a blessing in Paul's life. As Paul's been locked in chains, Paul is used to seeing miracles happening and, and all these tens and hundreds of people being saved and planting churches and then growing and the gospel exploding. It's killing Paul to be locked up in this little house not preaching the gospel. And so when this slave Onesimus comes in or anyone Paul sees, he can't wait to share the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ with him. And so Paul, he's been locked up in chains for two years now, and yet in his humility, he tells Philemon, as much as he's been a blessing to me, 
He knows there's even a bigger blessing to have for the glory of God to be on display and will be on full display if Onesimus, the repentant, changed man, returns to the Colossian church and Philemon forgives Onesimus. Completely in front of all these witnesses. And not only that, but then accepts Onesimus back not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. That's what Paul tells him to do. So Paul says, I don't want to rob you of that blessing. As much as I'd like to keep him here, <laughs> you can take him. I don't want to force your hand on this. I know you're going to do the right thing. And I know God is going to get the glory. And so it's just such a great little letter. If you need to be encouraged, that's kind of all the pieces around it. And so with that in mind, notice what Paul says about the man with the sinful past. Verse 9, Paul continues, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. Although Onesimus was a runaway slave and a thief, Paul sees neither of these things now because the gospel changes everything, doesn't it? Now, now he is our faithful and beloved brother. Praise the Lord. And what a sweet thing that is to say. Because that's exactly what he said about Tychicus. Tychicus has been with him for years. I mean, I counted up. It's, it's at least four years, probably closer to six, seven years or, or more. Onesimus, who knows how long he's been there. It's less than two years. It's likely months, maybe weeks. And yet he has the same status in the kingdom of God, and he has the same love from Paul as he has for him, as he does for Tychicus. He even uses the word faithful here, right? To describe him. And you remember what that means, trustworthy and reliable. Wait a minute, he's a thief. Not anymore, he's not. And beloved, meaning greatly loved. And then Paul vetches for the validity of his conversion by calling him brother. Brother. He doesn't want people in Colossae to doubt the genuineness of his confession of faith in Jesus Christ so that they will not keep him at arm's length when he comes back and hang this around his neck. No, he has repented of his sins. He has put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has a clean slate now. He is a new creation in Christ. And then he adds, who is one of your number? He's, he's one of your members now of the church. He's one of you. Welcome him. Welcome him back. Then at the end of verse 9, he adds, and they will inform you about the whole situation here. That's Tychicus and Onesimus. They'll let you know about everything that's going on here. They need to bring them the church up to speed on the conversion of, of all these praetorian guards that Paul talks about at the end of Philippians that are coming into the house. They need to bring the people up to speed on all these people who are, who are with Paul and, and the work that the gospel is doing. They need, need to bring the church up to speed on the, the financial gift that, that Paul had gone around and collected, remember, and he brought that love gift to Jerusalem. And, and they need to bring them up to speed on all the amazing work God's been doing, bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together as, as one church as the Lord had commissioned them to do. And so that was the first section, the, the, the faithful friends that Paul sent, Tychicus and Onesimus. 
The second section we'll call the faithful friends that comforted Paul. These are the friends who stayed behind with Paul in Rome. First one is Aristarchus. Sorry, Aristarchus. Aristarchus. Verse 10. And we're going to call him the man with a sympathetic heart. Notice what Paul says. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings. A little bit about this guy. In verse 11, we see he is a Jewish believer. He's of the circumcision. Um, Though, like many of the Jews of the uh, uh, diaspora, the uh, uh, dispersion of Assyria, um, he had a Greek name. He had a Greek name uh, as he was uh, native to Thessalonica. We learn in Acts and was one of Paul's traveling companions as well. Uh, We actually see him with Paul three times in the scriptures. We see him first in Acts 19 when the riot broke out in the city of Ephesus. He was actually seized by the rioting mob who who recognized him as one of Paul's traveling companions. See Acts 19.29. Secondly, second time you see him is in Acts 27 when Paul was uh, shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And then the third time we see him, it's right here in our passage, Colossians 4.10, as Paul describes him as my fellow prisoner. And so here's another one of Paul's faithful friends who follows Paul wherever he goes, riots, shipwrecks, prisons, you know, just the normal thing the Apostle Paul ran into in his life. And the fact that he chose to make Paul's lifestyle his own speaks of his sympathetic heart that he has as he has given up his own freedoms in order to minister to the Apostle Paul's needs. And we need men like that. We need women like that who, again, are actually willing to sacrifice something for the sake of standing up for the gospel and coming alongside you. Listen, one or or two men can't do this whole thing on their own. We all need encouragement. We all need prayers. We all need the quick phone calls and visits and a sympathetic heart for the things of God. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I love that. Um, If you have a real friend, he'll stay with you when you're in prison, when you're going through the fire, if you have a real friend, he'll, he'll run to your aid when there's a riot. If you have a real friend, he won't stab you behind your back. If you have a real friend, then constantly they're finding ways to encourage you and pray for you and pour life-giving words into you, and they aren't looking for anything in return. That's a good friend. And this was our, uh, Aristarchus. He was a friend with a sympathetic heart. And then We'll close with this. Paul introduces to us a man named Mark. We'll call him the man with a, a surprising future. Man with a surprising future. Notice verse 10, Paul says, and also Barnabas's cousin Mark. Now this individual we know well, though he is more commonly known as John Mark in, in the New Testament. This is Mark, the human author of the Gospel of Mark. And we might be surprised even to see that he's here. And the reason for that is he has failed the Apostle Paul in the past greatly, if you know the story. Let me just give you a little bit of background if you don't. Uh, we read here in the middle of verse 10, it actually kind of 
helps us to understand exactly what was going on actually in the book of Acts. It's, notice how it says, and also Barnabas' cousin, Mark. Cousin. Just to remind you, in Acts chapter 13, God calls the Apostle Paul to the mission field, and he's going to go and plant all these churches and, and be a witness. And he calls Barnabas alongside him. And, and so these two men go out and, and set out proclaiming the gospel. And, you know, after they had pulled out of Antioch, uh, Barnabas brings on what we now know as his cousin Mark. And, and again, I'm kind of filling in the pieces. I don't know exactly what he said to Paul, but he said something along the lines of, uh, hey, let's bring, uh, let's bring Mark along. Uh, he'll be a help to us. He, he's young, he's strappy. It'll be good experience for him. And, and he'll learn a lot about the ministry. Well, it's not but a few verses later that Mark goes AWOL and he bails out on Paul. I'm done with this. It's not what I thought it was going to be. And when the going got tough, he got out of town. He leaves Paul to carry on his ministry of Barnabas. Well, sometime later in Acts chapter 15, during the second missionary journey, Barnabas says to Paul, um, I want to bring John Mark along with us again. <laughs> And Paul goes, Mark? <laughs> You're talking about the one who had just bailed out on us? That Mark? Barnabas says, uh, yeah, I want to bring him along. Well, Paul says, no way. He's not on my team. What God has called me to do is far too important to have amateur hour and to be pulling over every 10 minutes so, so he can go run home to mommy. We're not doing it. And so Acts 15.39 says there arose such a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas that they separated from each other and went their own ways. Now we know it was his cousin. Ah, blood ties. And Paul grabs Silas and he heads out on, on his missionary journey. We see him go, just go ahead on his next missionary journey. But here's Mark now. And we don't know all the circumstances, but somehow, someway, Mark comes under the tutelage of the Apostle Peter. And you read the Gospel, Mark, uh, many believe that the Apostle Peter came alongside with him. And, and he spent time with Peter. And it is believed that he spent with Peter because pale, uh, Peter was a failure too, wasn't he? You remember the story. He denied the Lord three times, remember that? And so Peter knows what it's like to fall on your face in ministry, to disappoint the Lord and, and, and his people's work. And, and so Peter takes Mark under his arm, and, and it's said that he, he nurtures him, restored him to a place where, where now Mark has grown up and Mark has matured. And all of a sudden, we're reading here Mark's name. Mark is back. We don't know how he got here, but we know that Paul has now received him back into his fellowship. He's received him back into what we might call his inner circle it's an amazing story of grace because Mark continues to be faithful even after Paul's death and he goes on to write the second gospel in the New Testament, the gospel of Mark. Pretty good story, huh? Pretty good. And so at the end of verse 10, Paul writes, and also Barnabas, cousin Mark, about whom you received, this is interesting, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to him, welcome him. That's interesting. Why would he say that? Well, he knows that the church in Colossae is very loyal to Paul. And that if you have abandoned Paul and his ministry 
as it was probably likely known, then we don't want you here either. Right? We want you to go grow up before you come here. We're, we're not dealing with this. And, and Paul has to say at the end of verse 10, so that if and when Mark does come to Colossae, you will take him into your arms, in your heart, and you will receive him. What do we learn from this? Well, we learn that you can fail the Lord, and yet God in his grace will give us a second chance. Praise God for his grace. And God uses men who have proved to be immature in their earlier years and given them time to grow up and to be more anchored in the Lord and in their faith and that there's room in the back door for them to come back in. Come back on in and do the work of the Lord. Now, I don't know how this would connect with anyone here today, but John Mark should certainly be an encouragement to all of us where we have fallen short. Where we've blown it. Where we've disappointed our Lord. Where we've disappointed a former good friend before and we've hurt that relationship. If you've proven to be unfaithful to the Lord or, or in your commitment to your husband or wife or to a friend and fallen short in, in some way. Failure is never final as long as there is the grace of God. John Mark is a great example of this. Um, I'll just close with this thought. You know, Paul had some amazing friends. He had such amazing friends that came alongside him that stood with him in the riots, in the shipwrecks, in the storms, in the persecutions, in the beatings. And these men have stuck by him. We need some godly men to stand up and to stand by us. We need some godly women to stand by each other. To not just do the bare minimum, but to be willing to fight the battle wherever it goes. They follow Paul all the way to prison. What commitment. I mean, so many times we've seen the church just kind of everyone fall by the wayside. We need to stand up and be one. And one last thing, Proverbs 18, 24 says, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, it's such an incredible last chapter of, of Titus, of 2 Timothy. The scene is Paul's Standing, he's been judged, he's waiting for his execution, he's run the good good race, he's run, he's fought the good fight. And he says, Everyone deserted me at my last trial. He says, But the Lord was with me. The Lord was with me. And so don't put too much stock into worldly friends. You have we I mean we just got done seeing how valuable they are. But we, we must also remember this, that, that man, man will fall short and man will let you down. But we have a friend closer than a brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, who won't. And he is faithful and he is true. So we'll finish this up. Hopefully next week might take us three weeks. There was so much to dig into. Just kept opening up another door. I said, what a blessing this is. So, 
God bless you. Thank you for hanging in there. Let's uh, stand. You're welcome to come forward if, if you need prayers today Amen. as we sing that song of invitation. Thank you. Thank you.